Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The following program contains mature subject matter. Fewer discretion is advised. Hey, fatty! Hey, fatty! Hey, fatty! This man's reptile diet claims to drop insane amounts of weight, but is it just snake oil? What you're telling people go to the results. Your diet is going to kill people. Then, why kids are being taught about the opioid crisis in kindergarten. It took their innocence. And meet powerlifting granny. Plus, why Dr. Jedediah is getting into a new line of work. You're becoming a stripper? That's today. Hello there and welcome to The Doctors. We're joined by two special co-hosts today, internal medicine physician, Dr. Melina Jampolis. You always, you never disappoint. You bring it. I'm bringing it today. I like like that fire (laughs) sizzling. And emergency room physician, Dr. Jedediah Ballard is back with us. Good to see you again. Great to see you, sir. Great to see you. Well, likewise, you know, I I have to share Jedediah, though. I've heard some rumors out there that you're becoming a stripper since the last time. Since the last time you put it away. I mean, I suppose you can be a physician stripper. I mean, you have some supporters in the audience. You have supporters here. Sign me up. Next Thursday, I decided to strip one time for children's cancer to raise money. Okay. Uh, One time. One time. One time. Wait, are you serious? Maybe you yeah, actually. I, I really am. I mean, if people are just once, if people are willing sure. to, to pay money to see those abs for a good cause, I'm all in. I'll get you VIP access. All right, let's get going. Can eating like a snake help you tip the scales? Well, our next guest claims his extreme reptilian-inspired diet is a surefire way to lose that extra weight. Take a look at this. Hey, fatty! Hey, fatty! Hey, fatty! Hey, fatty! Hey, fatty! Hey, fatty! Before doing anything I say, go consult your local drug dealing doctor and make sure it's okay. Let's begin! The snake diet is a prolonged fasting focused lifestyle. You fast as long as you can. Not hours, but days, weeks, and months. If you're fat, you don't need to eat, drink water, and you don't need anything more than that. It's that simple. You don't want to have to eat but Here's how it's done. Prolong snake juice fast until you have ripped abs. Took me 10 days. And lastly, weigh yourself every day. It keeps you accountable. Fast longer and eat less. Don't be a crybaby and get that fat in you. Cole Robinson, the creator of the snake diet, joins us on Skype from Alberta, Canada. Cole, so what's the concept behind the snake diet? So essentially, it's a prolonged fasting-focused lifestyle, and you fast as long as you can when you're fat because fat people don't need to eat any food because they got more calories than they could ever use in, like, weeks on their gut, okay? People got to understand that body fat is food, 
And then what they do is they drink the salt water as they fast because it keeps your electrolytes up. And then you feel good and you can fast for days, weeks, months. So people have been fasting for hundreds of thousands of years, right? But most times people are fasting on plain water. Right. As soon as you add that salt, you can go a long time. Like I got a guy I'm coaching right now that was like 350 pounds and he's down probably almost 50 pounds in the month. Oh, and he does jujitsu and everything. And he's eating like one meal every seven days. Because you got so many minerals on your body fat. People just don't understand that their fat is fuel. And the only way to harness that is by keeping your insulin levels so low that you're just going to burn pure body fat. You can't be eating all damn day like the mainstream tells you to. And you also say that you can cure certain diseases or conditions. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so one of the girls, actually, she's uh, one of the people that was helping me coach on my big Facebook group. And she had a prolactinoma brain tumor. And basically, I got her dry fasting. I had her on a dry fasting routine where we were doing probably at least a three to four day dry fast a week. And then on the off days, she would eat. Basically, we would refeed her because she was pretty lean. So in that routine, we couldn't just fast straight through because we had to keep some weight on her. So we'd fast for three days in a row dry, and then we'd eat a meal a day for four days in a row, and we beat that, we melted that tumor down in two months. And I'm hurting you. No, and, no, and no I, Cole, you and, did not no, melt that I, tumor I, down. And That's also, not what happened. That, that would defy science. That would defy I, thousands well, well, of years of, of medicine yeah. and, and also, medical you, thinking. You also said you can cure herpes, the herpes virus, correct? Yeah, so what happened, basically, as far as herpes goes, I had herpes. So what happened is I started actually, I told people that I beat the herpes because I basically did a five-day dry fast never had one symptom, okay, after this. And then I had a whole bunch of people getting a hold of me, a bunch of women, they wouldn't come out about it. Like, basically the whole population's got HSV one or two, to be honest with you. No, well, like I say, you're, like, you're confident, you're well-spoken, you're charismatic. If I didn't have an exercise science degree, a medical degree, and 20 years of intensive self-study, I would personally believe you. But what you're telling people so is and it's not safe. Well, let's, yeah, let's, 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 yeah. No, 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 no. Wait, let's, let, let's, let's just back up for a second. Let's just back give me a second let's just back up for a second because I'm I'm a board certified physician nutrition specialist I'm going to start by saying that some of what you say is actually there is a very bit of truth to everything that you say so I the, the data on fasting there is actually emerging data on intermittent fasting and its potential benefits there is emerging data on the ketogenic diet which is somewhat similar to what you do now I'm not saying that I agree with any of these but at the end of the day I took something called the Hippocratic Oath as a doctor which is first do no harm and I can tell you with 100% certainty that your diet is going to kill people. Anybody with borderline kidney disease, liver disease, medications, I mean, this actually does make sense. This water... Pardon me? They got, they got kidney disease in the first place because the mainstream's telling them... What the mainstream's telling them doesn't work. Okay? Cutting calories... Cutting calories, eating multiple meals a day, just spikes your insulin all day long and creates, that's the biggest promoter of inflammation, having spiked insulin. I 100% agree with you. Insulin is a major problem, and I think this is something that people need to understand more. And this is, again, something that you partially understand is the role of hormones and weight loss. So I'm, but there are other ways. This is not 
the right way. I control, I spend so all my days in the office controlling inflammation and insulin resistance in patients, and, and I don't have to starve them. And I, I don't have to kill them or cause any sort of massive like side the, effects. The fasting, you know what happens in like a hospice? When people are like on their deathbed they at the very cancer. end of their life, they li listen though, they actually can't put anything in their body. What do you think the IV is at the hospital? It's snake juice. Cole, they're getting snake juice with TPN, which is nutrients going into their body. Right, that's we, we've all worked in the, the hospital is, setting and watched the, is, the nutrients also going, the calories the going people, into their body. When you, when you have people that are obese and you got them weighing like 200 pounds overweight, you know how much nutrition's on their fat? Every animal in, in nature does this. Like a grizzly bear will eat all summer, store the fat, and then they'll literally lay on their we're ass all winter and we're not, not eat a thing. I guess a bear turns into a snake. So we're not <laughs> snakes, we're not that's, that's true, but we're not bears or snakes, so we have to differentiate, okay? So let me ask you, what, what is being said up here is based on decades and decades of scientific evidence. Do you, let me ask you, I, I just want to know, do you have any randomized any prospective randomized controlled trials to substantiate any claims that you are making because the claims we are making is based on science. Have you done well, any okay, studies? My snake diet Facebook group has 200,000 people. I'd say that's a good enough study when people are losing 30, 40, 50 pounds in a month. All right, Cole, Cole, that's not science. That's straight to the weight loss, because I have personal experience with calorie restriction through U.S. Army Ranger School, where to serve my country, I had to cut out food for a while. Not all food, but severe calorie restriction. What happened was I absolutely got skinnier, lost 20 pounds of muscle. The only time in my adult life I was chubby was as soon as that ended because I screwed up my metabolism. And, you know and then you gain you know weight why? very easy. You know why? That will happen because to everybody. You everybody, you, you cut the weight fasting. out. And then you're going to gain because more you because your metabolism slows Ooh, way down. Short-term fix, two weeks, you need to get ready for a no, wedding. Unsafe, but effective. Outside that, unhealthy your, and not effective long-term. Period. Listen for a sec. Your metabolism gets cranked up because you weren't fasting. When you cut calories with a high eating, a high intake frequency, that will not, that will be catabolic as hell. Why do you think intermittent fasting is so popular? Because well, that, Cole, I mean, you can't, you can't deny that as part of this this uh, starvation diet that I'm going to call it, you are going to lose Bad protein. Fat people can't starve. Fat people cannot starve. That is period. absolutely not They're, true. I see obese, malnourished starve. people yeah. every single day. They cannot day. starve if they are fasting. If I they mean, are fasting, they cannot starve. They can only starve and lose muscle mass if you are feeding them. Well, they can die. They can so die so of some of the things I mean, that you. Cole, we appreciate your conviction and right. your passion. And, and yeah, you, you have a real passion for attacking this real problem of obesity. And you know, are we winning the war? Probably not. But our job here today is, and, and you know, you're getting, showing your results. Hey, I can go, I can Google Wor World Health Organization. I can see people in famine areas starving, and yes, they're going to be skinny. I mean, th there's no denying that. They're not fat. Fat people can't starve. And then you say that this is dangerous when people are chopping their guts out with bariatric surgery. How do you deal with a 1,000-pound man? For a 25-year-old person, what is the end game? Like, what is your plan? So, hypothetically speaking, this person is going to live until, let's say, they're 85. So, what are they going to do between now and 85 to maintain that weight loss? Okay, so basically what happens, so if you're fat, 
you have a fasting routine for everybody, okay? So we're talking about weight loss here. Okay. So the fat people don't need to eat. They need to fast as long as they can. They need to be in fasting forced ketosis. This is not a ketogenic diet. So for we're 60 years? We're for, what's that? For 60 years? So Some great quality for, of life. From 25 to 85. So I'm talking about the long-term plan. That's a great question. The long-term plan. Sustainability is really important. Yeah, so I'm, I, just, I do. I want to hear your plan. Let me finish. Okay. So say you got a guy, let's just go through the whole thing. So you got a guy, 500 pounds. So he comes to me and say we're fasting hardcore. We're doing 72s, 96 hour fast and so on and so okay. forth. That's he gets down days. to 200 pounds. Okay, he gets down to 200 pounds. Maybe he does a one month fast. Then once you're lean, then you can go back to a lower or a higher eating frequency like a meal a day, which is what I eat. I compete in so, powerlifting. So for like the I'm next 59 in, like, years, they're gonna eat one meal a day. Exactly, why not? What do you why eat not? in that meal? I'm just curious, What are, are you eating like a uh, small game because it's the snake diet? Or what exactly are you eating during that one meal? <laughs> well, you don't need to be smart enough, He eats it whole. Yeah, with the tea, you know, fur, hooves, whatever. And, and I gotta say, I mean, I've seen your picks. I eat fiber. six times a day and I'd put my abs against yours. You know, I mean, it's, Woo, there's no way to do it. I mean, Cole. Cole, very important for us to ask because our concern up here as physicians is getting people into medical issues, medical trouble, fasting right. like this, unsupervised dieting, fasting. So in one of your social media groups, we found a woman who posted that she was following what you recommended and developed seizures uh, on your diet. Now, I mean, this potentially could be a life-threatening issue. Yeah. How, isn't that a concern to you? Well, that, for starters, that post, it was fake. Because you notice how she didn't even, you know how many haters I have? Like, that post in her yeah, Facebook. Yeah, I can understand that. Oh, we're, that. we're <laughs> trying not to sick. hate your pet. I want to make sure I want to go back to the question the other fellow had that was in the military there, the other doctor. Yeah, I got so you. So what you're doing, yeah, what you're doing right now, let's say, like, let's just dumb it down to even mainstream intermittent fasting. If sure. you took what you ate right now and you packed it into a tight window, I guarantee you'd actually be able to eat more calories than you are now. Your metabolism will go up. I guarantee it. I disagree. I That's eat a lot. I, I'm I active. I out? eat a lot. And I would take, you know, your years of medical research, randomized control tiles against your Facebook group where if someone disagrees, then they're a hater and they're not included in the trial. But you understand, you understand though, when you guys say about the sustainability, the humans were doing this for 200,000 years. But they were we so hungry, Cole. <laughs> they, they were so hungry. They were running around. The quality of your appreciate your passion for this obesity epidemic yes. and I feel like we are we all want to get to the same point which is a healthier individual but we have very different ideas as far as how we can get there like even you guys argue with me like about this stuff you guys are doctors like you guys are all drinking coffee I don't drink We're not coffee. Drinking coffee. This is water. I don't water. Drink coffee. coffee reduces cancer and Alzheimer's. Yes, absolutely. Coffee is the top source of antioxidants in the American diet. Yeah, right. well, legitimately, well, real water, one of the top I do life. drink coffee. Well, well, you you don't drink Alzheimer's. coffee either? Boy, you're there's no way I could go on the snake diet. It's like, holy We appreciate your passion. Yeah. We have to wrap this up. We do want to address the obesity yeah. crisis, but we want to do it in a safe, yes medical way, we don't want it collateral damage right. along the way, people right. get into other medical problems, so but for people listening, people that want to follow your diet, make sure that they do it safely with supervision. Right. Cole, God bless you, buddy. Bye, Cole. Good luck. We'll Bye. be right back. Coming up.
Why kids are being taught about the opioid crisis in kindergarten. The opioid epidemic took their innocence. Then, meet Edith, the power lifter who's almost 100 years young. That's coming up. The first page of a book never tells the full story. And those news alerts and headlines, like the ones we get on our phones, don't even scratch the surface of what the story is really all about. Stories are like people, multi-layered and complex. It takes some digging to find the truth, but when we find it, it can change our world. We like to dig. The news on Merritt Street, essential television. The opioid crisis is destroying lives. Now a new initiative in the epidemic's epicenter, Ohio, aims to teach children about the dangers real early on. But how early is too early? Well, what about five years old? Hard to believe. Well, this program is called HOPE. It stands for Health and Opioid Abuse Prevention Education. And this educational program starts in kindergarten and goes through high school. So it's all-inclusive. And to discuss it, one of the creators of Hope, Kevin Lorson, joins us via Skype from Ohio. So welcome, Kevin. Kevin. Thank you. We appreciate you joining us and addressing this so important issue. So what inspired you to identify that there was a need for this to start this early? Well, we had heard lots of folks, uh, whether it be our, our kindergarten teachers, our, our elementary school teachers, we had heard the stories and, and you had, um, obviously you knew there was an impact on kids when you have the numbers that we were experiencing in Ohio. So obviously we knew it was there um, and we, we felt like there was something that we could do. Um, the question was always, how could we help? Um, and so we went to work on the HOPE curriculum. Um, the state was, was also recognized the need, so we were supported through a grant and we, we got to work. And uh, we put the curriculum together for K through 12 because we thought it was important to start early. Yeah, I just my first reaction. I have a three and a half year old and an eight year old, and I have a hard time understanding how I would need to or should start that conversation so young. I just don't think they have the maturity uh, to comprehend what I'm talking about, and and it seems like it would be very confusing and scary. So. How does that work? How did you come to that age? It just seems right. so young. It does, but it's kind of a misconception that um, we don't really actually talk about opioids or drugs in the, in the HOPE curriculum early on. Uh, really, the kindergarten lessons, and I have a kindergartner myself, um, we really just talk about healthy choices and who are trusted adults and some of the basic decisions that we would make in terms of, you know, what is a healthy choice? What should I do when I need help taking medicine? Well, I'm always gonna take medicine from a trusted adult. It, it's kind of a, a misnomer to say that it's a, a drug education um, program. It's really focused on healthy choices. And so we, we help to reduce that, that stress or stigma that, that parents might feel about teaching this to uh, you know, kids that, that might be in kindergarten. And then I guess as the age groups advance, then you change the curriculum, so to speak, a little bit, identifying what, what opiates look like, what different pills look like, what paraphernalia looks like, et cetera. You're right. We, we really focus on the skills to make those healthy choices. And so those skills kind of stay the same from almost K through 12, but it's, it's how you implement those. And like you said, um, our knowledge has to be a little bit more advanced the older that we get because we're 
we're presented with some of those opportunities, I guess, to execute those healthy choices. And so you're spot on, um, but the, the skills are consistent. We wanna make healthy choices and demonstrate decision-making skills. We wanna use our communication skills to either ask for help or to you know, refuse to do something that might be unhealthy. So you're spot on. You were there, Anita. You were, you were there in Ohio. You were boots on the ground. Yeah. You went for the show. In, in identifying and doing a, an expose on that opioid crisis. At least crisis. stilettos yeah. on the ground. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I took my stilettos off for that one. Like, it was serious business. And so I think you bring up a good point. It's a hard conversation, and it, to some, some people it would, see, would seem like this program is taking innocence from children, but this program is not. Actually, I feel as though the opioid epidemic took their innocence. Oh, okay. And sometimes when we are thinking about ways where we can combat this epidemic and we're thinking about the adults and what we can do to intervene, we unintentionally forget that there may be a little boy or a little girl standing in the corner crying because they found mommy or daddy lying on the ground or they may be put in situations where they see pills or they see needles mm -hmm. and they have to know what to do in that particular situation. So it is very sad yeah. that some populations have to have this conversation and I think when people are in environments where this conversation isn't needed for their kid, they can't really comprehend how a parent would feel when that conversation is needed. And so I want to thank you for developing this program. I'm very sad that your services are needed, but I think they definitely are. But you're on the front lines. I want to ask you, do you feel as though this problem is going to get worse before it gets better? Where, where do you see this going in the near future? Um, we actually have data in the Dayton area that our unintentional overdose deaths in adults are down to, um, I think in March we ended up at 15, which is amazing because a year before that in May we were at 81. And wow. so we've done lots of work um, to get to that point, I think, in responding to the opioid crisis. The interesting thing is, as the opioid unintentional overdose deaths go down, we're still seeing an increase in drug use. So. The substance may have changed, but the behaviors have not. So I think um, even though we're an opioid curriculum, it's going to be interesting to see that the, the focus on making choices, I think, will be important because we'll always have to make healthy choices about drugs rather than just one particular drug. So it, I think it will get better. I, I think we've done a lot of work here in Ohio. I, I don't know as if it will be solved, but I think we're doing a lot of good work to get there, and I think there is hope. Um, that we can move forward, but we always have to be diligent about what's next. And Kevin, I work as a full-time emergency physician, and I just want to commend you for what you're doing, because I agree that I don't want to have to teach kids that are five years old about drugs, yeah. but unfortunately I see it, they're affected. I see, you know, two weeks ago, I had a mom that was high on opioids roll a car with three kids in it. So it's just, you see that stuff, the kids are affected. Kids are smart, you know, they're seeing mom take pills, do stuff in the corner. Well, that's what I up. wonder. I'm just curious, needed. how much of your curricula actually brings in the parent? Because I know for me, when I'm talking about like nutrition and even childhood obesity, my education is much more directed towards the parents than the kids. I mean, if these kids, you're teaching them about these things to take drugs from a safe person, but it's mommy that's shooting up or taking, like, how does that work into your program? Well, a couple of things to address there. Number one, I think parent education is the key, and, and I think schools know that. The curriculum's designed for teachers, and so 
Um, our main focus is on teachers, but at the same time, we're talking to schools about building supports, whether that's a, a parent education night, um, whether that's connecting with parents, whether that's doing some outreach before and after school um, with kids and providing supports there. So I, I agree with you, parent education is going to be key. I think the other piece with this, and, and it was the question before too, this trauma piece that, that empowering teachers and schools to be able to respond, um, we've, we know it's there and we didn't really know what to do to empower our kids to be different um, or to stand out or to be ready to make healthy choices and try to come overcome um, what might be going on in their families or in their community. So we think hope gives them um, some key concepts and principles that they can share both with their kids or with their students and then also with their parents um, outside about medication safety, um, about drug prevention, um, and about making healthy choices. Well, Kevin, great work. We yeah. are so impressed with what you're doing. It is all about education. Yes, it's the parents. I think the kids need to be educated, too, on, on all the fronts, so keep up the great work. Yeah. And for everybody watching out there, plenty of great resources to help you have these tough but very important conversations with your kids. And we'll have them on our website, thedoctorstv.com. Lots more to come. Stick around. Coming up, the microwave egg recipe that went terribly wrong. Then... They are literally making billions of dollars. They're wow. ripping people off, people at home, trying to figure out if they're going to buy food that month or medicine. That's coming up. The internet is full of quick hacks to save you time and effort. But how can you tell if they're helpful or hazardous? What started as a tip to poach an egg in the microwave ended in a trip to the ER for one grandmother. Diane, the grandmother from the United Kingdom, tried to cook an egg in her microwave with a cooking hack that she found. Diane placed an egg in a mug of water, microwaved it for 60 seconds, when she took it out of the microwave, guess what? Boom, it exploded. The egg sprayed onto her, onto her face, her neck, her chest, and alarmingly, the corner of her eye. This caused severe burn. That's scary, I never thought about that. And my, my, my three and a half year old, I, use the, I have young kids, I use the microwave a little too much in my sure. cooking, but I mean, they're using it too. He, his favorite thing is to program it. Now I, I'm not gonna let him get near oh, it anymore. Yeah. I mean. It, not in opioids, my God. No. <laughs> and, and no snake diets. But yeah, so, you're not supposed to put whole eggs in the microwave because no. of the pressure. And if you do the whole egg, it can explode. But you can do scrambled eggs. That's okay. Because that with scrambled. Gross. I know someone who does that no, every they day. Do, uh, yeah, there's a uh, lot of people yeah. that do like yeah. egg, scrambled eggs, and yeah. you can do like spinach and yeah, vegetables. Make, it's okay. really make a little breakfast cup easy. kind of thing. So, have you seen injuries in the ER related to? Yeah, well, I used to work at. Um, I volunteer every now and then for a children's burn camp, right? And uh, I've seen a lot of microwave-related injuries, honestly. And it's more, in this case, more than exploding. You know, young kids and whatnot, they're using it, but then water gets super hot in a minute or two, and they go to grab it, and they spill ramen down their leg, and yeah. literally oh skin grafts gosh. and stuff. I've seen it. Um, yeah. and wow. It's, it's super sad, because burn recovery is terrible. Yeah. I mean, you guys know it's terrible. And it's painful like, and dangerous. They're great kids, but, like, what they had to go through, it's just, like... You, I, you I, want to do yeah. anything you can to avoid having to go through that Fully process agree. of it's dealing really with bad. burns and the rehab and everything that goes along with it. But, I mean, the microwave is a dangerous... A dangerous Device. I mean, it's great. We all use it, but you need to use caution. I mean, a phenomenon that's called superheating yeah. 
it makes it so hot it may not even be boiling to, to appearance. It just looks like regular water or whatever that it's not that hot where in fact it's scalding and it will burn you. Well, this is exactly why we do our hacker wax segments and clearly this was a whack. Wow. Do not no, do not cook eggs in the microwave. So if you have a hack you want our opinion on, go to the doctors, tv.com, and we'd be super happy to discuss it for you. We want to save you a trip to the emergency room. We'll be right back. Stick around. Coming up. They are literally making billions of dollars. Wow. They're ripping people off, people at home, trying to figure out if they're going to buy food that month or medicine. That's next. Closed captioning provided by... More than half of U.S. adults regularly take prescription medications. Patients assume they're getting the best deal through their insurance. But could you save money by paying cash? I think we've all been through this, that we've gone to the pharmacy and we're, we, we feel like we're being price gouged, that we're overpaying for medication. The reason being, you go in one time and it costs X amount. Right. You go in another time and maybe the same pharmacy, it may be a different pharmacy, and it's a totally different and price. So, yeah, and so what happens is they have these pharmacy benefit managers, and they work with the drug companies and pharmacies and insurance companies to come up with the amount that the person is going to pay if they're on a particular insurance plan. So let's say the, this middleman comes in and the, the price of the medicine is $10, and he says, okay, well, our customers will pay $5. Then you win, right? That's great. Well, what if he says, my customer will pay $20. Well, you lose, but the thing is there's a gag clause, so the pharmacist or the person checking you out can't say, oh, if you pay cash, it's going to be cheaper. So you don't know. However, if you ask, then they can tell you, but if you don't ask, they won't tell you. I just think that's wrong. I it don't is think wrong. It is wrong. have to Legal ask if they can get a better price. I don't know why. I did. I just changed insurance recently, and I pay a tenth of the price now. I'm like, I've been overpaying for eight years yeah. for this, but I never would have thought of asking if there was a sure. lower cash price. No one price. would think to ask that. And you just think you're getting the best deal. It's This is no more honest than breaking into someone's house and robbing. It's just legal. And people don't take them, a lot of them, because the co is, copay is too expensive, and so then they're not taking them because right. of uh, maybe some of the this type of thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there are three pharmacy benefit manager companies and they control 80% of the market. They are literally making billions of dollars. Wow. They're ripping people off. So you have people at home trying to figure out if they're going to buy food that month or medicine. Meanwhile, these people are making billions of dollars and there are legislators trying to change this. But my question is, what are they talking about? Like, what... How how is it right? How yeah, is how, it, what is there how to is discuss? How is the argument once you find this out? How do you not just nip that in the butt right there right. as, hey, you're stealing from the American public. Yeah, you're driving thing, up health care costs because people yes. are having to come to the ER because they can't take their long-term medicines. So the U.S. health care cost is bigger because people can't afford to stay healthy. It won't go towards your deductible if you do pay the cash price, right. but you can save up to $30 per prescription. The bottom line is ask about that cash price because it may be really beneficial for you. And I think the online is a great point because if you just search, you know, you have a prescription, you look up CVS, Walmart, et cetera, you'll see drastic price differences there. So it might be worth the driving the extra mile or something, you know, literally 50% differences just doing a quick Google search. So Good point, because you can go online to check prices mm -hmm. before you go in and, and so you have a little bit of information what you would expect Absolutely. to pay for a given medication. That's a great tip. As doctors delivering bad news to a patient is never easy, but should doctors be obligated to do it right away?
an Australian physician delayed telling his patient of her incurable lung cancer until she returned from an upcoming two-week cruise because he wanted her to enjoy her vacation. Unfortunately, Jenny contracted pneumonia on the ship and died. Jenny's family was angry with the doctor and considered his actions paternalistic rather than compassionate. Is it okay for doctors to delay telling patients bad news for the sake of the patient? All right, docs, we're going to have a little discussion here. So should this doctor in Australia have told the woman she had terminal cancer before she took off on her cruise? I understand both sides. I would need, if it really was incurable, there's no surgery, there's no chemo, there's no nothing. I think my instant reaction would be like, she doesn't have very much time. I just want her to have a good time on the cruise and whatever time she has left. And it wouldn't change yes, the outcome, probably. Yes, and the probably. last thing on this doctor's mind is that she would get sick on sure. the ship, contract pneumonia, and die before coming back. I mean, this that was not foreseeable. I don't think it was unreasonable for the physician to, to think that way. Yeah, I think I he see, did a bad see, thing yeah, trying I, to do the right thing. Right. Is what I, I, see, I, think. I see both sides, however. When you, you look at it, the thing is, it wasn't his decision to make. Like, yes, she wanted to go on the cruise, but what if she had a family or grandkids that she she really wanted to spend more time That's with? That's an interesting and point. And so the thing is, like you said, Very it came point. from a good place. Right. It was a very difficult situation. But in my opinion, two weeks is a really long time. And if you know someone doesn't have a long time left on this earth, I think it's really up to them how they want to spend that time. Yeah, who are you Absolutely. to tell someone what their best six months is? You know what I mean? I mean, that lady going on the cruise, she might have gone on the cruise and gotten a strip contest because she's like, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you really into the stripping thing, right? You're, I don't know. You're really into this stripping thing. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's a patient's right to decide what they want to do right. with their time. And, and I will say from a short-term standpoint, so again, I'm an emergency medicine doctor, level one trauma center. Um, unfortunately, you know, I will see 20-year-olds that get shot in the head. And I have to, it is the worst part of my job to talk to that kid's mom, I'm straight up. I, I hate that. But when I call her on the phone, I don't tell her the details. Because I say, hey, your son's in the hospital, we need you to come to the ER. Because... You know, you, I can't trust her ability to drive after getting news like that. I personally wouldn't wait two weeks. For me, no. that's, it's too long. I think it's a little paternalistic. But even though it may come from a good place, I just, that wouldn't be the way I would practice medicine. However, if it's a Friday afternoon and I get a reading from an ultrasound, I won't necessarily call on a Friday at five o'clock to no. say that. I will call the first thing Monday morning, but there's nothing they can do over the weekend. So a couple of days for something like that, that's how I would approach it. But longer than the weekend, then no. Or if it's life-threatening, not even the weekend. Yeah, in general, I, I don't think we should delay bad decisions, so that we should face it and do it in the most compassionate right. and yes. easy way as possible, and sometimes that can be very difficult. Yeah, some news is never easy, but it's, it's their right to know. But yeah, in this situation, though, there may have been something that she wanted to do differently in her last two weeks, because my initial reaction was, you know, let her, because immediately, I mean, the cruise would be canceled. Maybe she would have gone on the cruise, but I... She I, maybe she still would have gone. Choice, and, it's and, not my choice. It's not maybe, the physician's choice to make. It's it's the patients and their families, for sure. So it's, uh, it, it's terrible what happened, and I don't blame the family for being upset, but I do understand the doctor's reaction, because... That was my first reaction too, and I, without having thought it fully through and heard, you know, the the actual. Sometimes it's hard in medicine to 
not be human first and, yeah. and, and have that initial reaction where I just, I don't want to ruin, she's been saving for 10 years. I don't want to yeah, yeah. ruin the trip of her lifetime of her dreams. But again, it's not my choice. And, and you got to be a well, little careful as a doctor well, you sometimes do. not to I cross mean, that line. I mean, as physicians, we got to be compassionate and always keep that in mind. Yep. We'll be right back. Coming up, a child car seat warning you need to hear about. It caused her to slip through the straps and fly out the car. Then, meet Edith, the power lifter who's almost 100 years young. That's coming up. Closed captioning provided by... Are you unknowingly putting your child in danger while driving? You're about to find out in this edition of Stuff My Mom Forwards Me. Our first email warns about the dangers of car seat accessories. Be careful adding accessories to your baby's car seat can make it dangerous, so don't take the risk. So, Docs, what do you think? Totally agree. Again, I work at a trauma center, so you see bad things happen when people, they're trying to do the right thing, but it's just not. So they're thinking about their kid's comfort, and I get that. But a car seat company, you know, if their car seat fails, they're out of business. And you can trust that big companies care about their bottom dollar. So they've hired engineers that have spent a lot of time designing this car seat to be as safe as possible. When you spend seven bucks at Walmart to put something to it, you're not helping the situation. They might be a little more comfortable, but you're definitely hurting the yeah, And typically it's changing the straps, for example, that have the little pads on them, which, which looks, looks cool, you feel like. Mm -hmm. Your, your child's gonna be more comfortable in that car seat, but you could be doing them harm. So for this particular one, they, the, she said with the force of the car, the sheepskin slid on her daughter's shirt and it caused her to slip through the straps and fly out the car during the accident. Right. So in general, you really don't wanna add extra accessories because they haven't been crash tested. Mm -hmm. And really manufacturers, like you said, once you alter their product, they're not responsible. So if you want to add anything, check the manufacturer's website. You may be adding dangerous situations unnecessarily to your baby's environment. Yeah, I never thought about that. I mean, all the stuff that I bought, you know, to hook onto their car seat, to entertain them. Yes. I mean, in the case of an accident, you know, it could impale them or something like that. I sure. mean, it's actually kind of scary to think. Thank God, oh, one of my you kids. You were just <laughs> car seat. I'm going to go home and fix my car seat right. right now. So, Mom, you were right in this email you forwarded. That is true. Yeah, Do is. not accessorize that car seat unless <laughs> it's done according to the guidelines of the manufacturer. All right, our next email claims you can ripen an avocado by placing it in the oven. I haven't heard this one. So they say you can quickly ripen an avocado by wrapping it in tin foil and placing it in an oven for 10 minutes at 200 degrees. What's supposed to happen is that ethylene gas is produced, it's released, it speeds up the ripening process. So. I didn't know that. I mean, I have to admit, I thought that, that it was the heat that speed, with, yeah. with bananas, I always assume that Putting them in the maybe it does it, I don't even know if it works for bananas, but I, I actually didn't I don't know store this. bananas I with fruit because it ripens it. So that that one I've tested. Is that true? Yeah, oh, it really well, does. That's exactly what it don't does. Don't get excited. Don't get excited though because it doesn't work. <laughs> oh, <no>. <laughs> <laughs> it's false. When you put it in the oven, you're actually just cooking it. You're oh. cooking it. Well, but yeah. but there is a, there is a hack that you can use. You mm -hmm. can. Put it in a bag, right? Yes, with bananas and apples, yep. which do release that ethylene gas, which we know does help mm -hmm. to ripen your fruit. Sorry, Mom, in this case, this is false. Don't try wow. to ripen, ripen your fruit in the oven. Uh-uh. All right, here's what's coming up next. Stay tuned.
Coming up, meet Edith, the power lifter who's almost 100 years young. Plus, the only show on TV where everyone at home has a chance to enter to win the Word of the Day giveaway. Find out what it is. That's next. Coming tomorrow. Completely out of nowhere, it was, I just couldn't feel my right arm. Having a stroke at 22? I had to like physically unclench my own fingers. And the mistake that could have been fatal. Then, how the tree man gained international fame overnight. I thought it was a glitch. I didn't know what was going on. Plus, can this device deliver washboard abs and provide a butt lift? We're putting it to the test. That's tomorrow, and then on Thursday, a doctor's investigation that could save your life. He's going to show us the most dangerous driving behaviors. This is different than what we were taught in driver ed. You're three times more likely to get into a crash. Plus, is it possible to lose weight while eating pasta? What you really want to look for is... That's Thursday. So what image pops in your head when you hear the word power lifter? <laughs> well, <laughs> I bet it isn't a 97-year-old woman. Well, Edith, she is a very feisty 97-year-old from Florida. She's breaking all types of stereotypes. She started powerlifting at 91. She can bench press 150 pounds. She even has a competition that's named after her, the Edith Traina Inspirational I Open. I know, I love her. Bad girl power. I My guess hero. it's never too late. We know women's health is so important to incorporate weight training, yes. resistance training. Well, Edith Keep those is... bones strong. Yeah, no, this is, but this is amazing. I actually just wrote an article about this, about, you know, because it does get more challenging to build muscle after 50, but you're losing like 3 to 5% of muscle each decade, mm -hmm. and after it starts 30. accelerating in your 50s, 60s, 70s. Huh. There's research done uh, 20 years ago that showed that you can still build muscle into your 90s, and she is living proof of yeah. it. But what I love is she hopes to deadlift 200 pounds before she turns 100. She's 97, and she's still making long-term plans. Don't you love that? Yeah! Amazing. That's amazing. Edith, yeah. you really are impressive. This woman has goals. Oh. Oh. That's our word of the day. Go to thedoctorstv.com and enter goals for your chance to win a Zoya toxin-free nail polish set worth $120. Oh. And everyone in our audience is going home with one. We've got lots more to come, so don't go away. Coming up, a sweet doctor's prescription to cut down on sugar intake. That's next. Coming tomorrow. Completely out of nowhere, it was, I just couldn't feel my right arm. Having a stroke at 22? I had to, like, physically unclench my own fingers. And the mistake that could have been fatal. That's tomorrow. If you're ready to win big, join us in our studio audience. You could be part of our massive prize giveaway. So log on to our website at thedoctorstv.com or call us at area code 323thedocs. That's 323thedocs for show tickets. Come on and join us. Come on! Everyday easy swap can help you cut that sugar intake. Well, replace dried fruit with fresh fruit. 
Dried fruit loses volume, but keeps the same amount of calories and sugars. So one ounce of raisins has 17 grams of sugar versus one grape, which has just five grams of sugar. So today's doctor's prescription is simple. Instead of adding dried fruits to your salad, opt for the fresh ones, less sugar, more volume, more fiber, it's all good, right? Yeah, and this is one of the single most important concepts in long-term weight control. So it is really, really critically important to have high volume because you want to feel full unless you're on the snake diet. So definitely <laughs> a great tip. Right. I'm surprised it took us that long in the show that we were going to circle back. That we were going to circle back. So anything you missed on today's show, please visit us at thedoctorstv.com. Docs, Melina. We're all going to be front row at your stripping show, right? <laughs> Everybody, we're all going to be uh, one time. Don't jump on We'll see you all the next time.